Thanks, Daniel. Well, my name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside, and it's a, a joy for us to gather together. And again, thanks for coming out on a pretty stormy morning. We're glad that you're here with us. We're going to continue this morning our, our study of the book of Genesis. We're calling the series Beginnings. And uh, I want to just kind of, just again, let's just remember the story, remember where we are and, and kind of where we're going. Uh, even though God created everything good, Genesis tells us that, that God created everything good at the beginning. At this point in the story, the world God created is broken, all right? It's, it's pretty messed up. There's sin, and there's evil, and there's hatred, and there's anger, and there's pride, and there's arrogance, and, and just a lot of brokenness going on in the world at this time. And God has done some things, but, but at this point in the story, about chapter 12 of Genesis, God makes a decision about how he's going to work, and he decides he's going to work through one, one nation, one people, and he's going to start with one person and call that person, and then that person is going to have children, and their children are going to have children. It's going to, be, going to become a nation, and, and this nation is going to be God's presence in the world, all right? So God decides to do that, and the person God decides to use in that is, is a guy by the name of Abram, or Abraham as he's known later on. He gets a new name in just a couple of weeks. We'll talk about that. Again, some things to remember about Abram. He is not a big shot. He comes from Ur, from a, a, one of the most powerful nations on earth at this time, but, but he wasn't important. He doesn't have any titles. He doesn't have a lot of significance. We should also recognize and remember that by the time he gets into the new land, he's 75 years old, okay? All right, he's 75 years old, and then to go with that, as, as many of us know, to go with that, he doesn't have any kids. He doesn't have any kids, and his wife is 65, and they haven't been able to have any kids. And, 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 and so in some ways, you want to kind of say, if you were going to start a new nation, if you were going to start a new movement, Abram is the anti-person you would choose, right? I mean, he's old, he's not significant, and he doesn't have any kids, and you're supposed to create a whole nation of this. And so, and, and so God does what he so often does, in a sense. God puts himself in a corner, okay? God puts himself in a situation where it's clear that unless he does something, nothing good is going to happen. So God does that. God calls Abram to leave his home and his security and go to an un, un, unknown land. And, and one of the things we need to recognize, that this whole story is really carried forward by God's promises. And in particular, we've been talking about two of them, all right? God makes two promises to Abram. You want to think about where the tension of the story comes in. The first promise that God makes to Abram is that you will have a child. I mean, Abram's now 80 years old at the story. We're going to look at this morning, at least 80 years old. God is saying, no, really, promise you, you're going to have a child. At, at, one point, at what point does, does Abram say, I really don't want one anymore? Frankly, I don't want one right now. I mean, and, but, but, but Abram hasn't had any wants that first shot. God says, you are going to. I mean, you are going to. And it's kind of like this, okay, how? How is this going to happen? You're going to have a child, and your children will inherit the land. And, 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 and really, the Abram story is all about, about those promises and, and about these two key questions. All right, again, we've mentioned these before. The question, the first one is, is will God be faithful how, how is he going to do this? I mean, he makes these promises, and again, we read it, and we just move week to week. But, but you got to understand, I mean, these are years and years and years, and God doesn't seem to really be doing anything to bring a child or to give the land. And Abram is getting tired, okay? He's really tired of it. Will God be faithful? And then the other question, will Abram be faithful? Will Abram be able to trust in this God who made these wonderful promises, who occasionally shows up in big ways, but who hasn't done the right thing, the most important thing for Abram in his own life? In, in some ways, one of the interesting things to do as we look through these stories is to recognize that, that in, in a sense, what God does is he put Abram, puts Abram in positions and he says, you know, will you trust me now? 
will you trust me now? Will you trust me here? And, and so we saw that, you know, when, when, when there's a famine in the land, Abram, will you trust God? When, when there's not food around, will you trust God? The answer was nope. And Abram ended up walking away and ending up down in Egypt in a really messy situation. Failed that one. Well, what about the next chapter, 13, when, when Lot chooses the better land? Abram, can you trust God then? When you, when you have this disappointment of, of Lot choosing the better land, and at that point we get a yes. Then last week, chapter 14, Daniel talked about what, when you got to go into battle. Will you trust God then? And the answer was yes. And so we start to see Abram on a roll, right? <laughs> Abram is, is, is living with faith. He's, he's responding to God, and God is taking care of him. But we still don't have land, and we still don't have children. Now, at the end of chapter 14, there's something really interesting that happens that kind of sets the stage for chapter 15. So I want to just start with the end of chapter 14 this morning, and that'll move us forward. As Daniel talked about last week, Lot is living in Sodom. He gets captured, and and there are five cities that this group comes through, captures, and then they bring them away, and Abram goes after them. Abram mounts a charge, he takes them on during night, and he wins the battle. God gives him the victory in the battle. And then Abram is coming back with these kings and with their possessions, all right? So it's coming from the north there, and he comes here to Salem, which will be Jerusalem, okay? This is going to be Jerusalem. And, and Daniel talked last week about how the king of Salem was also a priest, the kingly priest or the priestly king, Melchizedek, and we talked about that. And, and, and I think what happens is, okay, Abram goes and he gets these people, he brings them back to Salem, and this is kind of where everybody goes home again, all right? What we're going to see is Lot and the king of Sodom are going to be heading across uh, There they go across that way, and they'll be going home there. Abram's going to be going down to Hebron, down this way, um, and and he's going to be there, all right? And and, and so before they do that, other kings are going to go to other places. Excuse me. Before they separate, a really interesting thing happens. And, and I think it's a challenge. Um, and I want to suggest it's especially a challenge for those of you who, who work in the business world, all right? So before they leave, they're in Salem there. Uh, Melchizedek has had his thing. And then we get these words in the end of chapter 14. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people. I want my family back. I want my family back. Give me the people, but keep the goods for yourself. All right, I, you, you, to the victor belongs the spoils. So you just keep the good stuff. I want my family back, and let that be my payment to you for, for rescuing my family, for rescuing me, for rescuing my people, all right? So you just keep the goods, and look at how Abram responds. Really interesting here. <clears throat> but Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you. He took stuff from Pharaoh not from the king of Sodom. I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Why is that? I I think what we've been told already, what we're going to see in a little bit, Sodom was about as as scummy as you could get. The, 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 the community, the king, the whole thing, he's about as rotten as you can get. And, and, and part of, I think, what's going on here is Abram, he's not afraid to, to get rich, right? I mean, he's wealthy at this point. He's going to get more wealthy. It's not that he's worried about that, but what he's worried about is how he gets there and God's reputation after he gets there. He doesn't want anybody to be able to say, look, you know what? You know how I got this? It was the mafia, it was, it, this guy was crooked. Yeah, he made a lot of money. Now he's saying God blessed him, but, but he was crooked and he made a deal with Sodom. He got this money there. And, and again, I don't want to push you too hard, but I think it's just an interesting challenge as you think about business, as you think about work relationships, 
you got to understand there are some work relationships that are just not worth it. There are some partnerships that you don't want to get into because you don't want anybody to be able to say, well, that's how you got made your money. That person was crooked. That's how you made your money. We want to say, no, I, 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 God, because guess what? When, when people look at us, God's reputation is on the line. And, and so I just find it fascinating that Abraham says, no, no I don't. I'm not going to take this from you. And in some ways, it's another act of faith saying, God, I'm going to just trust you. I'm not going to take the land. I'm not going to take this by my own strength, by my own power. I'm going to trust you. One thing to notice before we go on, it'll be uh, important a little bit. Look what he calls God, all right? I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Just, we'll come back to that, all right? So he goes on. He says, I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the shear that belongs to the men who went with me to Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. All right, so they're here in Salem, and Lot and the king of Sodom goes there, and again, Abram goes down to Hebron. This is where we pick up chapter 15, all right? So Abram's just won this battle, and now God speaks to him, okay? God speaks to him. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, for I am your shield, your very great reward. Why would Abram be afraid? <laughs> God says, don't be afraid. Why, why would he be afraid? We don't know for sure, but what it could well be is that, uh, again, he's kind of kicked the beehive, the hornet's nest, whatever you want to call it, right? I mean, he defeated these kings, but they got bigger armies back home. The, the, this was just a small, and he could be kind of afraid of that, but God comes and says, Abram, don't be afraid. I am your shield, all right? I am your shield. I am your protector. I am the one who will, who will defend you, and you can know that I am more powerful than any army you face, and I am your very great reward. You turned down the king of, of Sodom. You said no to those spoils that would have been ill-gotten gains, so to speak. You said no to that, and I promise you, I am your, re- your very great reward. Interesting again, he doesn't say, and I will give you a great reward, Right? God says, I am your reward. I am your reward. What I will give you is myself, and that is the best reward we can have. So he says, Abram, don't be afraid. I'm going to take care of you. Everything's going to be fine. And like I said, Abram's tired at this point. Abram's a little tired of of what's been going on and of trying to stay faithful. And, And he's heard these promises from God a number of times now, he heard them in Ur, he heard them in Aaron, he heard them in the promised land, he heard them in Egypt probably. God has said this to him over and over and over again. And God, you can tell me your reward, but, but this is what Abram says. But Abram says, Sovereign Lord, what, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. God, you can tell me you're my reward. You can tell me you're going to take care of me. You're going to tell me. But what good does it do to me to have more stuff because I don't have a kid? It's just going to go to Eliezer. It's just going to go to this other guy. God, I'm a little frustrated right now. I'm a little tired right now. I'm a little sick of this right now. And I don't understand what's going on here. And he just pours his heart out to God. And he says, it's just going to go to Eliezer. All right, well, well who is Eliezer? What's he talking about here? What, what does he mean by this? Eliezer is a servant of Abram, okay? He is a servant of Abram. We're going to read that in just a second. And, and just, this is a small thing, but he's from Damascus, which means he's not from Ur. And, and the reason I highlight that is this is not some servant and, and some family friend who has been with Abram for 50 years. It's not like, you know how that is. Sometimes in a business, you might have somebody who becomes like a child. 
Now, this is somebody who Abram picked up on his way down from Haran, so less than five years, maybe less than six or seven years, or something like that, all right? Not that long ago. It's not that he has any great connection with Eliezer. He doesn't, it doesn't go way back. He's just uh, somebody he picked up on the way. But what it seems like happening here is that Abram is probably considering adopting him as a son. We think of adoption primarily when, when we adopt littler kids, right? We think of adoption with babies or with, uh, you know, 10-year-olds or 12-year-olds or whatever. That's when we think about adoption. But in this culture, because what happens is when you got older, your kids would take care of you. If you didn't have any kids, you might be 80 years old and adopt somebody and adopt somebody so that they would take care of you as you got older and then they would get your stuff when you're done. It's, it's kind of like a nursing home thing where you just say, all right, you get my whole estate, but you, you promise to take care of me, <coughs> excuse me, uh, until I die, right? And then both parties are like, uh, let's just pray he dies soon, swing low, sweet chariot, you know, and then we make more money and all this stuff. But, but that, could, that happened a lot in these days, okay? And so that's what it looks like, that Eliezer is, is, is going to be the one that, that Abram says. And, and so, again, let's just, just stop. And, and I want us to kind of, Think about life for Abram at this point. The fact of the matter is he's, he's got some pretty good things, okay? He, he's got some pretty good things. He, uh, he's wealthy. He's got his health. He's got a wife. He's got, he's got some pretty good things. I, 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 this is why I want us to recognize he's not just kind of at the end of his rope desperate. There are places where he is, but, but he could be, you know, it'd be really easy to kind of say, I have no right to have any questions, right? You ever feel that? Saying, I have no right to ever have any questions. And at one level... That can kind of be true. So there are some good things, but the fact is things aren't right. The most important thing to him is not where it's supposed to be. The thing God has promised him is not where it's supposed to be. And like I say, I think more than anything else, he's tired. You know what that's like. To be tired. To be tired of of trying to serve God faithfully in a marriage that just doesn't seem to go anywhere. To to be tired of fighting against a sin. Saying, God, the temptation isn't changing at all. God, I, I've prayed about this so long. To be so tired of, of, of dealing with a family situation or a work situation. Saying, God, I know what you called me to do, but I am just so tired. And, and, and that's where Abram is. That's what he's going through. He, he, he says it again in the next verse. He says, and Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. God has every right to say, give me a break. Grow up, you little baby, but he doesn't. I think we see God's graciousness here at work for when we are tired of how God comes to us because God comes to Abram in a beautiful way. He says this, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And, and, and I can hear Abram saying, I know And I'm trying to believe, but I've heard that for the last 20 years, 15 years, and it doesn't change, and I'm just tired. And so what God does, what God does is he gives Abram two gifts, and and he gives these same sort of gifts to us, two gifts to strengthen his faith, two gifts to give him courage to continue to go on, all right? First one starts in the next verse. God took him outside. God took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, 
if you can indeed count them, all right? So this is, think about this, okay? Abram is just like, he's tired. He's like, God, I don't know. I'm tired. Nothing seems to change. It doesn't seem to get any better. My, my, my situation doesn't seem to get any better. God says, come on, step outside. Step outside. Look at the stars. Look at all those stars. Can you count them? Can you count them? Remember what I said, 14? What did, what did Abram call God? Creator of heaven and earth. So I think what's going on here is God is saying, Abram, just a minute, do you remember who I am? Do you remember who I am? I'm, I'm the creator. Do you know how much power I have? Abram, I put each one of these stars in their place. I'm big enough to hold them in their place. I'm big enough to guide them where they need to know. I'm big enough to, I'm big enough to take care of all of this stuff. Know then, know that I'm big enough to give you your promise. Know then that I'm strong enough and powerful enough to carry through. Then God said to him, so shall your offspring breed. I promise you this, Abram. I am powerful enough. I am strong enough to make this come true. And something happens inside Abram. Somehow being outside, somehow seeing the stars, somehow recognizing the grandeur, the power, the glory, the amazing strength of God, he somehow says, all right, you know what? And, and he goes deeper. And, and what we're told is that Abram believed Abram believed God. Abram believed the Lord. Interesting, this is the first time we're told. We've seen actions of it. I mean, he's left Ur. He's left Haran. He's, he's, he's been faithful a number of times in other places. But this is the first time we're told. Something goes deeper here. In some ways, Abram just says, all right, God, I trust you. And that word believed becomes just central throughout the rest of Scripture. And it becomes central in the New Testament as well. Look at what the whole verse says. Uh, Some of you might recognize this verse. A lot of you won't. But it says, Abram believed the Lord, and he, that is God, credited it to him as righteousness. We could just jump over this, but the fact is the Apostle Paul picks up this verse and writes several chapters on it in, in New Testament letters. Paul says this verse is key because it teaches us what God wants from us. It teaches us what is really important to God and how God wants to be in a relationship with us. So I want to take a couple of minutes and just think about what it means when it said Abram believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. Let's start with those, those, those words in the second line first. God credited it to him as righteousness. What, what, what's that saying? What does it mean that Abram is credited with righteousness? I, I think we have to recognize it doesn't mean that, that Abram is perfect or sinless. Now, when we see righteousness in the New Testament, we understand it's the washing away all of our sin. But in the Old Testament, it has a little different flavor, and we need to keep remembering that. What it means in the Old Testament primarily, and also significantly in the New Testament, but what it means to be righteous is to have your heart in the right place. It's to be in a right relationship with God. It's not saying he does all the right things, but he has put his heart in God's hand. He has, he, has, he has put his faith in God. He's believed in God. He is where God wants him to be. And what God is saying is, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. What is it that he wants? What is it, what is it that triggers this? And this is important again. It's not when he left Ur. Okay? It's not that he left Ur, now I credit that to you as righteousness because you were obedient. It's not when he rescued Lot. When is it? It's when he believed. It's when he had that faith. You see, what God wants from Abram and what God wants from you and what God wants from me more than anything else is God wants our faith. 
God wants our trust. God wants us to put our lives in his hands. And obedience will follow from that. But it's always first and foremost about relationship. It's always first and foremost about God saying, what I want you to do is know how much I love you. And I want you to rest in that love. And, 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 and I think it's so important for us to think about that. Because I think for many of us, and at times I, I certainly am included in this, but I think that for so many of us, when we look at God, we, we have a relationship with God that in some ways is defined like he's the boss. And, and, and at one level, he is, right? I mean, he's God. <laughs> he's the boss. But sometimes that's all we let him be. It's like, okay, God, yep, you're going to save me. That's great. And I'm going to do my best. And, and so we turn in the time card at the end of the day and say, God, this is what I did. But God is not first boss. God is first father. God is first friend. God is first. What he wants from you is not all of your obedience. What he wants is your heart. What he wants is your faith. What he wants is your trust. What he wants is you. And that's what Paul picks up on in the New Testament. He's writing to Christians, and he's saying, you know what, they're starting to say, well, okay, we're saved by Jesus, plus by obeying the laws about Sunday observance, plus the laws about this. Paul says, no, it's never been about that. It's always been about faith. This is, again, Paul quotes this. It's Genesis 15, 6. Paul quotes it in Romans 4, 3. Abram, Abram believed the Lord, and God credited it to him as righteousness. And then a little further on, again, God, Paul wants to make this clear. It was not through the law, not through the law, not through his actions. They don't even have the law yet. That doesn't come for 430 years, that Abram and his offspring received the promise that would be, he would be heir of the world, not just the land, but the world. It wasn't because he followed all the laws, because he did all the right things. It was not because of that, but, but, but through the righteousness that comes how? By faith. Something happened in this moment in Abram's life. Paul says, you see, that's what God has always wanted from us. He's wanted faith more than anything else. He wanted us to put our lives in his hand. He goes on a few verses later, all right, and, and he says this, the words, it was credited to him. We're written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will what? Credit righteousness, okay? We again get righteousness credit. We don't earn it. We don't, we don't do it ourselves. God's going to credit righteousness to us for us who what? Again, believe in him who raised Christ from the dead, our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So again, I want to come back to this. What God wants most from us is faith. What God wants most from us is a relationship. What God wants most of us from us is, is to rest in his love, is to, is, is to understand that he is the source of life. Now, when we do that again, Paul, read Romans 12, and you'll read about how it will change our lives and how we act. But we are saved by grace, friends. We are saved by grace, and that's the way it always is. It's the way it always has been. That's what God has wanted from his people from the very first one, from Abraham himself. Abram believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abram believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. God takes Abram out to see the stars. He says, Abram, you've got to know I'm big enough to hold on to this. So to come back to when we're struggling... I think sometimes what we need to do when we're struggling is go outside. I think we need to go outside and get away from a city, get away from any light pollution, and just look up. And just look up and just look at the stars and say, God, okay, 
The situation is impossible for me, but I know you're big enough. I know you're strong enough. I think that's, that's part of the reason that for many of us, and, and it's summertime, and maybe I hope many of you have done this. Maybe some of you still have time. But for many of us, we go on vacations. We like to go to the Rocky Mountains. We like to go to the Grand Canyon. And part of what we experience in those places, Isle Royal, whatever it is, part of what we experience in those places is we are reminded again that our God is big enough. Our God is powerful enough. Our God is strong enough. And, 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 and I wish he'd act sooner. He doesn't always act when I want him to, but I know this. It's not for a lack of power. God is strong enough to defeat evil. God is strong enough to defeat all that is broken in this world. Sometimes we just got to slow down and, and, and see the world and see creation and see the stars and say, okay, God, if you're strong enough to do that, you're strong enough to take care of me. All right, you see how that gift works? He takes him outside to show him the SARS. One more gift. God goes on. God also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this, boom, land, our other promise, right? That was about children. I I promise you, you will have as many children as the stars. Now, again, I promise you, I'm giving you the land. You'd think Abram would say, God, I know you will. Nope. (laughs) Nope, Abram's just like you, and he's just like me. And he says, God, I'm still, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? God, how can I know? I know you can. I know you're powerful enough, but how can I know this for sure? And again, God does not yell at him, but God gives him a gift, all right? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old. That means not little ones. Okay, they've been growing for three years. Kaylee had pigs this summer, still got two, but they grow big fast, and they are ugly. You know, we were worried that the kids might feel like really sad when the kids, when the pigs got killed yesterday Adam says to or Noah says to me so dad you know what grandpa you know what they did with the pig we shot him in the head oh okay anyway I mean so these were big animals all right a a heifer a goat and a ram each three years old along with a dove and a young pigeon God says go get this now Abram knows what's going on okay what we have here Abram knows this is going to be what's called a covenant ratification ceremony big words but it's an easy idea. It's basically saying, let's shake on it. We're going to make this, this, this deal official. I'm going to make this promise real. And, right? I mean, when you, when you say something to somebody, I really, really, really mean it. Shake on it. Shake on it. My word is my bond. Or I, I don't know if kids still say this today, but when I was younger, it used to be, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Right? So look, if, if I break my promise, cross my heart, I hope that I stick a needle in my eye. It's a really weird thing to say. But, but it's, it's similar to what we're going to see, okay? So God says, Abram, get these animals. And then Abram does something that's just, well, gross. All right? Abram brought all these to him. And then Abram cut them in two. He didn't have a sawzall. I mean, he hacked these animals, each one of them in two and arrange the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. So this is what it would have looked like, something like this. You got the heifer, you got the uh, goat, you got the ram, you got the two birds that were not cut in half. The other ones are cut in half. Again, friends, this would be smelly and bloody and gross. And, And what happens in this kind of a ceremony, all right, what happens in this kind of a ceremony is you set it up like this, and then both partners, okay, both people walk through this. They would walk from the top there all the way down and, and slosh through the blood if it's still there. 
the guts and you would walk to the bottom. And what you would be saying by this is, like I say, similar to cross my heart, hope to die. What you're saying with this is, if I don't keep my part of the covenant, may I be torn apart just like these animals. If I don't do what I promise to do, I am going to be torn apart. So Abram's there. He's got this set up, and he waits. And he waits, and he waits. God has told him to do this much. He waits long enough that birds come. Then birds uh, of prey, hold on. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Long enough, I mean, the birds would have some time to show up. So it's been going on. It goes through, again, it started stars at night, and maybe immediately Abram started this other stuff. It goes all the way through the day. Abram is still waiting for the next step. It smells, it's gross, it's... And then evening comes. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. I don't know exactly what that signifies. There's a part of me that says, that's just a, you think? I mean, you fall asleep next to a a heifer and a goat and a ram that you've split in half, and their guts are hanging out, and you're not going to have nightmares? It could be as simple as that, but I think it could also be that Abram recognizes something here. God's going to make this promise, but he too is supposed to walk through this. He too is about to put his life on the line. He is about to say, God, if I don't obey you completely, if I don't, if I don't do this, then may I be torn apart. May I be ripped up. That's not a good, a good uh, uh, recipe for a good night's sleep. But there's this darkness, this dread that comes over him. And then God speaks. He speaks the words of the covenant, okay? He speaks the words of the promise. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. So you will get the land, but it's not going to be for 500 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So yes, I promise you this, and he gets details here. It's going to be, your your grandchildren, great-grandchildren are going to go into slavery for 400 years, but after that, they will come back, and then I will defeat the other enemies who are here. I will drive out all the nations. God speaks that. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared, and passed between the pieces. All right, so if we go back to kind of what a picture might look like, a, a, a flaming torch and a smoking fire pot walking through there. Again, what do they mean? What's significant? The one thing that we can all, uh, really everybody agrees on is that they both represent God. This is God saying, you know what? I, I, I bet my life that I'm going to keep this promise. I guarantee you, this is how far I will go to you. They both represent God. Now, you can have some fun trying to figure out exactly how they represent God. A possibility is, is to sort of say, you know what, the torch is God lighting our way. You get that a lot in the Old Testament, and Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. So it could be that, and the, the smoking fire pot is like a refining fire. And, 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 and that part of maybe what's going on here is God is saying, Abram, when you walk with me, guess what? Sometimes I'm the guiding light, and sometimes I'm the smoking pot. Sometimes I'm refining you. Sometimes I'm guiding you. But that's what God does in our relationship. But that's not as important as recognizing something huge that happens. I said Abram was expecting to walk through here, but God does it alone. God alone ratifies the covenant. Abram doesn't walk through these animals. 
God alone says that. And so what that means is that God takes full responsibility for the promise, for the fulfillment of the promise. So what God is saying to Abram is this. He says, I will die before I break my promise to you. Do you want to know how far I'll go? I will die before I break my promise to you, even if you break your promise to me. God says, you know what? I'm not going to put you through that. I'm not going to make you make this commitment because you and I both know you can't keep it. And so I will do this myself, and I will die. I will die before I break my promise. And if in the stars we see God's power, here we see God's heart. Here we see God's level of commitment. Here we see God's level of love. Here we see just how far God is willing to go. God says, I will die before I don't keep my word to you. I will die. And guess what? That is exactly what he does. That's why we have to cross out today. I got it out Saturday. This thing's heavy. But if you ever wonder about God's heart, then look to the cross. Because what happened is Abram failed, and his children failed, and his children's children failed, and his children's children failed, and they didn't really own the land. They couldn't possess it because they weren't the right kind of people, and God had every right to say, then just get out of here. But God said, no, it's not like that. I am so committed to you. This is how far I will go. And his son, Jesus Christ, died on that cross and gave his life for you, and he gave his life for me. If you wonder whether God is going to make all things new, if you're struggling right now with whether God is going to fulfill his promise, if you're tired of waiting, then look to the cross. And, and, and know this, Paul later on in Romans, he says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Paul says he gave up his son. Jesus died on that cross. He died for you. He died for me. He's not quitting now. He's not quitting now. And, 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 and so at the end of the story, in, at one level, nothing has changed for Abram. Doesn't have any kids. Doesn't own any land. But at the other end, he's seen God's heart. And he's seen God's power. And that's what we hold to when we struggle. When we struggle to trust in God. When we struggle... And when we're tired, and when we're feeling like we just don't know how to go on, friends, I want to invite you to just look to the stars. So look to the stars and know that God is big enough, that God is powerful enough. And look to the cross. Look to the cross and know that he will not stop until it is done. That's how much he loves you. And you can trust him. Let's pray together. Father, sometimes we wonder. I mean, we even think about the last month in this country of ours and, and, and just the confusion and the anger and the hatred. And Lord, we pray for peace. We've been doing that and we just do it again and again and again. And Lord, when we get discouraged, show us the stars. And remind us that one day you will be able to. You have the strength and the power to make all things new. And then bring us to the cross. Bring us to the cross and give us the peace that comes from knowing that nothing will stop you, that you have gone all the way, and one day it will be full. And so we pray, Lord, come quickly. Maranatha.
Come, Jesus, come quickly. But in the meantime, give us the stars and focus us on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of benediction? Again, following our service, if you'd like to talk with somebody or pray with somebody, there are going to be some folks in the prayer room to the, that side of the auditorium there if you'd like to meet with somebody. People of God, as you go from this place, know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us, and he is powerful enough and loving enough, and his word will come true. Go in God's grace. Amen.